Book Five, Chapters Three and Four of the Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hollis Hanover. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Chapters Three and Four. Chapter Three. How the sedition was again revived within Jerusalem, and yet the Jews contrived snares for the Romans. How Titus also threatened his soldiers for their ungovernable rashness. 1. As now the war abroad ceased for a while, the sedition within was revived. And on the feast of unleavened bread, which was now come, it being the fourteenth day of the month Xanthicus, Nisan, when it is believed the Jews were first freed from the Egyptians, Eleazar and his party opened the gates of this inmost court of the temple, and admitted such of the people as were desirous to worship God into it. Footnote. Here we see the true occasion of those vast numbers of Jews that were in Jerusalem during this siege by Titus, and perished therein that the siege began at the feast of the Passover, when such prodigious multitudes of Jews and proselytes of the gate were come from all parts of Judea, and from all other countries, in order to celebrate that great festival. Tacitus himself informs us that the number of men, women, and children in Jerusalem, when it was besieged by the Romans, as he had been informed. This information must have been taken from the Romans, for Josephus never recounts the numbers of those that were besieged. Only he lets us know that of the vulgar, carried dead out of the gates, and buried at the public charges, was the like number of six hundred thousand. However, when Cestius Gallus came first to the siege, that sum in Tacitus is no way disagreeable to Josephus' history, though they were become much more numerous when Titus encompassed the city at the Passover. As to the number that perished during this siege, Josephus assures us, as we shall see hereafter, they were one million one hundred thousand, besides ninety-seven thousand captives. But Tacitus' history of the last part of this siege is not now extant, so we cannot compare his parallel numbers with those of Josephus. End footnote. But John made use of this festival as a cloak for his treacherous designs, and armed the most inconsiderable of his own party, the greater part of whom were not purified, with weapons concealed under their garments, and sent them with great zeal into the temple, in order to seize upon it. Which armed men, when they were gotten in, threw their garments away, and presently appeared in their armor, upon which there was a very great disorder and disturbance about the holy house. While the people, who had no concern in the sedition, supposed that this assault was made against all without distinction, as the zealots thought it was made against themselves only. So these left off guarding the gates any longer, and leaped down from their battlements before they came to an engagement, and fled away into the subterranean caverns of the temple while the people that stood trembling at the altar and about the holy house were rolled on heaps together and trampled upon, and were beaten both with wooden and with iron weapons without mercy. Such also as had differences with others slew many persons that were quiet, 
out of their own private enmity and hatred, as if they were opposite to the seditious. And all those that had formerly offended any of these plotters were now known, and were now led away to the slaughter. And when they had done abundance of horrid mischief to the guiltless, they granted a truce to the guilty, and let those go off that came out of the caverns. These followers of John also did now seize upon this inner temple, and upon all the warlike engines therein, and then ventured to oppose Simon. And thus that sedition, which had been divided into three factions, was now reduced to two. But Titus, intending to pitch his camp nearer to the city than Scopus, placed as many of his choice horsemen and footmen as he thought sufficient opposite to the Jews, to prevent their sallying out upon them, while he gave orders for the whole army to level the distance as far as the wall of the city. So they threw down all the hedges and walls which the inhabitants had made about their gardens and groves of trees, and cut down all the fruit trees that lay between them and the wall of the city, and filled up all the hollow places and the chasms, and demolished the rocky precipices with iron instruments, and thereby made all the place level from Scopus to Herod's monuments, which adjoined to the pool called the Serpent's Pool. 3. Now at this very time the Jews contrived the following stratagem against the Romans. The bolder sort of the seditious went out at the towers, called the women's towers, as if they had been ejected out of the city by those who were for peace, and rambled about as if they were afraid of being assaulted by the Romans, and were in fear of one another. While those that stood upon the wall, and seemed to be of the people's side, cried out aloud for peace, and entreated they might have security for their lives given them, and called for the Romans, promising to open the gates to them. And as they cried out after that manner, they threw stones at their own people, as though they would drive them away from the gates. These also pretended that they were excluded by force, and that they petitioned those who were within to let them in. And rushing upon the Romans perpetually with violence, they then came back and seemed to be in great disorder. Now the Roman soldiers thought this cunning stratagem of theirs was to be believed real, and thinking they had the one party under their power, and could punish them as they pleased, and hoping that the other party would open their gates to them, set to the execution of their designs accordingly. But for Titus himself he had this surprising conduct of the Jews in suspicion, for whereas he had invited them to come to terms of accommodation by Josephus but one day before, he could then receive no civil answer from them. So he ordered the soldiers to stay where they were. However, some of them that were set in the front of the works prevented him and catching up their arms ran to the gates, whereupon those that seemed to have been ejected at the first retired, but as soon as the soldiers were gotten between the towers on each side of the gate, the Jews ran out and encompassed them round and fell upon them behind, while that multitude which stood upon the wall threw a heap of stones and darts of all kinds at them, insomuch that they slew a considerable number and wounded many more, for it was not easy for the Romans to escape, by reason those behind them pressed them forward, besides which the shame they were under for being mistaken, and the fear they were in of their commanders, engaged them to persevere in their mistake, wherefore they fought with their spears a great while, and received many blows from the Jews, 
though indeed they gave them as many blows again, and at last repelled those that had encompassed them about, while the Jews pursued them as they retired, and followed them, and threw darts at them as far as the monuments of Queen Helena. For After this these Jews, without keeping any decorum, grew insolent upon their good fortune, and jested upon the Romans for being deluded by the trick they had put upon them and making a noise with beating their shields, leaped for gladness, and made joyful exclamations. While these soldiers were received with threatenings by their officers, and with indignation by Caesar himself, who spake to them thus, These Jews, who are only conducted by their madness, do everything with care and circumspection. They contrive stratagems, and lay ambushes, and fortune gives success to their stratagems, because they are obedient, and preserve their good will and fidelity to one another. While the Romans, to whom fortune uses to be ever subservient, by reason of their good order, and ready submission to their commanders, have now had ill success by their contrary behavior, and by not being able to restrain their hands from action. They have been caught, and that which is the most to their reproach, they have gone on without their commanders in the very presence of Caesar. Truly, says Titus, the laws of war cannot but groan heavily, as will my father also himself, when he shall be informed of this wound that has been given us, since he who is grown old in wars did never make so great a mistake. Our laws of war do also ever inflict capital punishment on those that in the least break into good order, while at this time they have seen an entire army run into disorder. However, those that have been so insolent shall be made immediately sensible that even they who conquer among the Romans without orders for fighting are to be under disgrace. When Titus had enlarged upon this matter before the commanders, it appeared evident that he would execute the law against all those that were concerned. So these soldiers' minds sunk down in despair, as expecting to be put to death, and that justly and quickly. However, the other legions came round about Titus, and entreated his favor to these their fellow-soldiers, and made supplication to him that he would pardon the rashness of a few on account of the better obedience of all the rest, and promised for them that they should make amends for their present fault by their more virtuous behavior for the time to come. 5. So Caesar complied with their desires, and with what prudence dictated to him also, for he esteemed it fit to punish single persons by real executions, but that the punishment of great multitudes should proceed no further than reproofs. So he was reconciled to the soldiers, but gave them a special charge to act more wisely for the future. And he considered with himself how he might be even with the Jews for their stratagem. And now, when the space between the Romans and the wall had been leveled, which was done in four days, and as he was desirous to bring the baggage of the army with the rest of the multitude that followed him safely to the camp, he set the strongest part of his army over against that wall which lay on the north quarter of the city, and over against the western part of it, and made his army seven deep, with the footmen placed before them and the horsemen behind them, each of the last in three ranks, whilst the archers stood in the midst in seven ranks. And now, 
as the Jews were prohibited by so great a body of men from making sallies upon the Romans, both the beasts that bear the burdens and belong to the three legions, and the rest of the multitude marched on without any fear. But as for Titus himself, he was but about two furlongs distant from the wall, at that part of it where was the corner. Footnote. Perhaps, says Dr. Hudson, here was that gate called the Gate of the Corner in 2 Chronicles 26.9. End footnote. And over against that tower, which was called Cephanus, at which tower the compass of the wall belonging to the north bended and extended itself over against the west, but the other part of the army fortified itself at the tower called Hippicus, and was distant in like manner by two furlongs from the city. However, the tenth legion continued in its own place upon the Mount of Olives. Chapter 4. The Description of Jerusalem 1. The city of Jerusalem was fortified with three walls on such parts as were not encompassed with unpassable valleys, for in such places it had but one wall. The city was built upon two hills which are opposite to one another, and have a valley to divide them asunder, at which valley the corresponding rows of houses on both hills end. Of these hills, that which contains the upper city is much higher, and in length more direct. Accordingly, it was called the citadel by King David. He was the father of that Solomon who built this temple at the first, but it is by us called the upper marketplace. But the other hill, which was called Acra, and sustains the lower city, is of the shape of a moon when she is horned. Over against this there was a third hill, but naturally lower than Acre, and parted formerly from the other by a broad valley. However, in those times when the Asamoneans reigned, they filled up that valley with earth, and had a mind to join the city to the temple. They then took off part of the height of Acre, and reduced it to be of less elevation than it was before, that the temple might be superior to it. Now the valley of the cheesemongers, as it was called, and was that which we told you before distinguished the hill of the upper city from that of the lower, extended as far as Siloam, for that is the name of the fountain which hath sweet water in it, and this in great plenty also. But on the outsides these hills are surrounded by deep valleys, and by reason of the precipices to them belonging on both sides, they are everywhere unpassable. 2. Now of these three walls, the old one was hard to be taken, both by reason of the valleys and of the hill on which it was built, and which was above them. But besides that great advantage as to the place where they were situated, it was also built very strong, because David and Solomon and the following kings were very zealous about this work. Now that wall began on the north at the tower called Hippicus, and extended as far as the Zistus, a place so called, and then, joining to the council house, ended at the west cloister of the temple. But if we go the other way westward, it began at the same place, and extended through a place called Bethso, to the gate of the Essens, 
and after that it went southward, having its bending above the fountain Siloam, where it also bends again toward the east at Solomon's Pool, and reaches as far as a certain place which they called Ophlas, where it was joined to the eastern cloister of the temple. The second wall took its beginning from that gate which they call Jeneth, which belonged to the first wall. It only encompassed the northern quarter of the city, and reached as far as the tower Antonia. The beginning of the third wall was at the tower Hippicus, whence it reached as far as the north quarter of the city, and the tower Cephanus, and then was so far extended till it came over against the monuments of Helena, which Helena was queen of Adiabene, the daughter of Isates. It then extended further to a greater length, and passed by the sepulchral caverns of the kings, and bent again at the tower of the corner, at the monument which is called Monument of the Fuller, and joined to the old wall at the valley called the Valley of Cedron. It was Agrippa who encompassed the parts added to the old city with this wall, which had been all naked before. For as the city grew more populous, it gradually crept beyond its old limits, and those parts of it that stood northward of the temple, and joined that hill to the city, made it considerably larger, and occasioned that hill, which is in number the fourth, and is also called Bezetha, to be inhabited also. It lies over against the tower Antonia, but is divided from it by a deep valley which was dug on purpose, and that in order to hinder the foundations of the tower of Antonia from joining to this hill, and thereby affording an opportunity for getting to it with ease, and hindering the security that arose from its superior elevation. For which reason also that depth of the ditch made the elevation of the towers more remarkable. This new-built part of the city was called Bezetha, in our language, which, if interpreted in the Grecian language, may be called the new city. Since, therefore, its inhabitants stood in need of a covering, the father of the present king, and of the same name with him, Agrippa, began the wall we spoke of, but he left off building it when he had only laid the foundations, out of the fear he was in of Claudius Caesar lest he should suspect that so strong a wall was built in order to make some innovation in public affairs. For the city could no way have been taken if that wall had been finished in the manner it was begun, as its parts were connected together by stones twenty cubits long and ten cubits broad, which could never have been easily either undermined by any iron tools or shaken by any engines. The wall was, however, ten cubits wide, and it would probably have had a height greater than that had not his zeal who began it been hindered from exerting itself. After this it was erected with great diligence by the Jews, as high as twenty cubits, above which it had battlements of two cubits, and turrets of three cubits altitude, insomuch that the entire altitude extended as far as twenty-five cubits. 3. Now the towers that were upon it were twenty cubits in breadth and twenty cubits in height. They were square and solid, as was the wall itself, 
were in the niceness of the joints and the beauty of the stones were no way inferior to those of the holy house itself above this solid altitude of the towers which was twenty cubits there were rooms of great magnificence and over them upper rooms and cisterns to receive rainwater they were many in number and the steps by which you ascended up to them were every one broad of these towers then the third wall had ninety and the spaces between them were each two hundred cubits but in the middle walls were forty towers and the old wall was parted into sixty while the whole compass of the city was thirty-three furlongs now the third wall was all of it wonderful yet was the tower cephanus elevated above it at the northwest corner and there titus pitched his own tent for being seventy cubits high it both afforded a prospect of arabia at sunsetting as well as it did of the utmost limits of the hebrew possessions at the sea westward moreover it was an octagon and over against it was the tower hippolycus and hard by two others were erected by king herod in the old wall these were for largeness beauty and strength beyond all that were in the habitable earth for besides the magnanimity of his nature and his magnificence toward the city on other occasions he built these after such an extraordinary manner to gratify his own private affections and dedicated these towers to the memory of those three persons who had been the dearest to him and from whom he named them they were his brother his friend and his wife this wife he had slain out of his love and jealousy as we have already related the other two he lost in war as they were courageously fighting hippicus so named from his friend was square its length and breadth were each twenty-five cubits and its height thirty and it had no vacuity in it over this solid building which was composed of great stones united together there was a reservoir twenty cubits deep over which there was a house of two stories whose height was twenty-five cubits and divided into several parts over which were battlements of two cubits and turrets all around of three cubits high insomuch that the entire height added together amounted to fourscore cubits the second tower which he named from his brother Phasilus, had its breadth and its height equal each of them forty cubits over which was its solid height of forty cubits over which a cloister went round about whose height was ten cubits and it was covered from enemies by a breastwork and bulwarks there was also built over that cloister another tower parted into magnificent rooms and a place for bathing so that this tower wanted nothing that might make it appear to be a royal palace it was adorned also with battlements and turrets more than was the foregoing and the entire altitude was about ninety cubits the appearance of it resembled the tower of ferris which exhibited a fire to such as sailed to alexandria but this was much larger than it in compass this was now converted into a house wherein simon exercised his tyrannical authority the third tower was mariamne for that was his queen's name 
It was solid as high as twenty cubits. Its breadth and its length were twenty cubits, and were equal to each other. Its upper buildings were more magnificent, and had greater variety than the other towers had, for the king thought it most proper for him to adorn that which was denominated from his wife better than those denominated from men, as those were built stronger than this which bore his wife's name. The entire height of this tower was fifty cubits. 4. Now as these towers were also very tall, they appeared much taller by the place on which they stood. For that very old wall wherein they were built was on a high hill, and was itself a kind of elevation that was still thirty cubits taller, over which were the towers situated, and thereby were made much higher to appearance. The largeness also of the stones was wonderful, for they were not made of common small stones, nor of such large ones only as men could carry, but they were of white marble cut out of the rock. Each stone was twenty cubits in length, and ten in breadth, and five in depth. They were so exactly united to one another, that each tower looked like one entire rock of stone, so growing naturally, and afterward cut by the hand of the artificers into their present shape and corners. So little or not at all did their joints or connection appear. Low as these towers were themselves on the north side of the wall, the king had a palace inwardly thereto joined, which exceeds all my ability to describe it, for it was so very curious as to want no cost nor skill in its construction, but was entirely walled about to the height of thirty cubits, and was adorned with towers at equal distances, and with large bedchambers that would contain beds for a hundred guests apiece in which the variety of the stones is not to be expressed, for a large quantity of those that were rare of that kind were collected together. Their roofs were also wonderful, both for the length of the beams and the splendor of their ornaments. The number of the rooms was also very great, and the variety of the figures that were about them was prodigious. Their furniture was complete, and the greatest part of the vessels that were put in them was of silver and gold. There were besides many porticos, one beyond another, round about, and in each of these porticos curious pillars, yet were all the courts that were exposed to the air everywhere green. There were, moreover, several groves of trees and long walks through them, with deep canals and cisterns, that in several parts were filled with brazen statues, through which the water ran out. There were withal many dove-courts of tame pigeons about the canals. Footnote. These dove-courts in Josephus, built by Herod the Great, are, in the opinion of Reland, the very same that are mentioned by the Talmudists, and named by them Herod's dove-courts. Nor is there any reason to suppose otherwise, since in both accounts they were expressly tame pigeons which were kept in them. And footnote. But indeed it is not possible to give a complete description of these palaces, and the very remembrance of them is a torment to one, as putting one in mind what vastly rich buildings that fire which was kindled by the robbers has consumed. For these were not burnt by the Romans, but by these internal plotters, as we have already related in the beginning of their rebellion. That fire began at the tower of Antonia, 
and went on to the palaces and consumed the upper parts of the three towers themselves. End of Book 5, Chapters 3 and 4, Recording by Hollis Hanover